Restaurant Unstoppable episode 1038 with Robert Chen. What I realized just putting on my business hat was there has to be some more long-term sustainable way to help restaurants increase their uh, revenue and profit margin that's reflective of their value at the society. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode made possible by Restaurant Technologies, Inc. RTI's Total Oil Management automates your entire cooking oil process. With Total Oil Management, you get dependable fresh bulk cooking oil delivery, filtration plus oil usage monitoring and reporting, easy oil disposal, use cooking oil pickup and recycling, and say goodbye to messy, dangerous restaurant rendering tanks. Yuck. RTI's end-to-end cooking oil system helps you manage your used cooking oil disposal, storage, collection, and recycling conveniently, safely, and cleanly with no upfront cost. Restaurant Technologies, Inc. is always on, so you don't have to be. To learn more, head to rti-inc.com and let them know Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast sent you their way. This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and your labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time creating great guest experience. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. This episode brought to you by Owner.com. Owner.com is the leading all-in-one platform for restaurant marketing. Owner.com powers everything from SEO-optimized websites, direct online ordering, automated email and text marketing, built-in loyalty programs, zero commission delivery, and branded mobile apps for your restaurant that's integrated right into your POS. With Owner.com, there's no contract, no hidden fees, and nothing to lose. Join thousands of restaurant owners using Owner.com to grow direct online sales, save thousands in third-party fees, and simplify their online ordering presence all in one. Book a free demo today at owner.com slash unstoppable and see why owner.com is the number one rated restaurant marketing software. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp 
With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, CEO and founder of Eat Me's, Robert Chen. My man, Robert, are you feeling unstoppable today? I feel great, man. Thank you so much for having me. Dude, the, the pleasure is mine. I cannot wait to dive into your story, and I love getting non-traditional. I, I like to remind the restaurant industry that our industry is the second largest industry in the world, and it spurs off shoots. It has like you know roots or tr- like branches that come out of it, and we we generally opportunity for other verticals in especially in the world of tech as we march into the future so real quick um actually before we dive into what Mies is let's yeah. get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us yeah no great great question i was uh thinking you know one thing that always comes to mind and that is very reflective i feel like of the entrepreneurial journey is um, actually, Steve Jobs gave a, a graduation speech to Stanford. It's, it's a pretty famous speech you can find on YouTube and a lot of great quotes from that. The one that really stuck out to me was that you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason that that's that always stuck out is because with something like this, with building a business where there's so much uncertainty, that's kind of a white space. You have to have faith. You always have to have faith that what you're doing, you know, will make sense later. And, and you're kind of in un, uncharted territory. So uh, that quote kind of sticks out to me because uh, it's something that you really have to have to have when you're when you're trying to build something from scratch. So yeah, man, yeah, for yeah. sure. And if you don't believe, then how are you going to get others to believe? Exactly. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. you got to you got to sell yourself on the idea before anyone else buys into it. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, awesome way to get this thing started. So you don't really have a traditional entry into hospitality no it sounds like definitely this, not like you, you seem like a really smart guy i saw that you were you graduated summa cum laude 4.0 from what was it columbia columbia yeah, yeah. that's pretty impressive right so cool. <laughs> you kind of had like uh you can tell that you're a smart ambitious guy uh you're young in life um do you want to just kind of give us an idea of what you were doing before eat me's yeah yeah so i so i've been in new york almost 20 years now um you know went to columbia undergrad actually studied electrical engineering, but most of my career actually before Eat Me's um, was in finance and, and investing. Um, different kind of uh, hedge funds and private equity distressed that a lot, but really through that time, spent a lot of time understanding businesses, understanding what makes businesses work, You know, understanding the math behind all of it, um, understanding the economy, understanding markets. So um, that was very much my, my background before and um, obviously did a, a really large shift in uh, and started a company during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I see you're with City. You're with Mid Ocean Credit Partners. You spent some time with Lucadia. 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 Your titles were investment analyst, investment professional. Uh, your what was what was Strategic Value Partners? What was yeah, it? so Strategic Value Partners is um, it's a hedge fund and private equity shop out of Connecticut, and primarily focused on distressed debt. Um, so what we would do is we would buy. Uh, you know, the famous ones in 0809 are like Lehman Brothers or like General Motors, things that are kind of going under. Um, and the idea is you buy that, you you buy a lot of the debt, um, you restructure it through bankruptcy and you create value um, through kind of a, finding a business that's struggling or has too much debt. You restructure it, find a new plan and then, and then see if you can create a lot of value for, for, for shareholders. Now, when you buy someone's debt, is it basically like, are you like... I mean, I don't understand how that works. Yeah, like, yeah. How do so, you make money buying debt? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, very simply, uh, companies in general, you can, for money, they either issue debt or equity. Okay. Right? Equity is like stocks. Like you go on the stock market, you buy Apple stock, that's stock, right? But they also have a lot of debt. Um, and that debt is usually syndicated to, you know, large, you know, uh, pension funds, institutional funds, like billions and billions of dollars of stuff. And what happens is 
when the company gets really distressed and really bad, the equity value, you know, it tanks. And what happened is that debt actually is very tradable and, and tanks as well. And so what happens is a lot of these institutional funds, pension funds, whatever, they'll sell it through to, you know, distressed debt funds like where I used to work at. We buy it at a cheap amount. And then usually through the bankruptcy process, you own the new company through that debt. I don't know if I've explained it well, but the idea is through that process, you can basically, you know. So you take on their debt, but you take on their assets. Uh, Yeah, you basically just, you basically own the, basically, yeah, yeah. Where you're now like, so traditionally equity owners are the owners of the businesses and debt debt folks are just lending to the business. And through this process, through distressed debt, you essentially own the company by creating um, a new structure through buying the debt. If that makes sense, I, I think I, I, gen- I mean, I'm sure it's more it's more complicated than that. I'm sure that I, I, I feel the, like I'm like, butchering this explanation. No, I, no you're doing good. You're doing good. I mean, we're not here to talk about. Yeah, that yeah, today. no, I love it. I love it. There, but yeah. I, I am just curious about like how people get to where they are. Yeah, and, uh, like, yeah. It, 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 there seems to be a leap too yeah. from like, hey, like I'm a super smart like numbers like like i don't know investment like i'm gonna use the word geek but i mean it in the most respectful way the most respectful way um to hey like i'm gonna like take a 90 degree turn or maybe 180 yeah yeah yeah, and get into um the the world of entrepreneurism yeah and uh, i'm gonna get into the the world of not just any entrepreneurism but like food tech you know like What was going on there? Like how long, like, like that happened in 2020. Yeah. Right. You made this pivot, but was it like bubbling up inside of you? Yeah. What was, how was the world of investment analytic? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know even know what to call it. (laughs) Math geek nerd stuff. Like how did that lead to the restaurant? Yeah. It's great. Great question. So, uh, truthfully, a lot of it was the pandemic. Okay. Um, and this is very much a pandemic story, not only from the business side, but on a personal side, I think, the truth is a lot of people through the pandemic, they were kind of jolted into like, you know, who am I? What am I? What do I love to do? What do I like to do with my time and what matters to me? And I think on a personal basis, um, just with the pandemic, it very much hit me. Um, you know, one, I've always wanted to start a company. Um, that's something that I've always, you know, had this urge. I, I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs you talk to, they always have that itch right. that they can't get rid of. And I've always had that. Um, so that was one. And I think the second thing was... Um, trying to do something that I felt like was a positive contribution to society. Um, and what I mean by that is I do believe like just philosophically, like to have fulfillment, you have to do something that you think is a positive, you know, contribution. And, and during that time, during, during the pandemic, restaurants were all suffering. Um, right. Um, uh, you know, it's no secret. And I think there were a lot of short-term solutions, like the government was providing PPP loans, um, you know, a lot of people were, were thinking of creative solutions, but what I realized just putting on my business hat was there has to be some more long-term sustainable way to help restaurants increase their uh, re- uh, revenue and profit margin that's reflective of their value at the society. And um, that was kind of the genesis of, of this where it's like, hey, you know what? I want to do something. I've always wanted to build something. Um, and I want to do something that I think can make a difference um, to a large – you mentioned it earlier, right? Restaurants, I think – hold so much value um, to all of us in our hearts and all of our societies and communities. Um, but I always felt like the profit margins that they had were just not reflective of that. Right. right. I think the path you took to enter into an entrepreneurial lifestyle venture, like if that's the path you want, like eventually to be an entrepreneur, understanding the world of finance and getting into like investment analytics and like that world just must be understanding how money moves and works 
has to be such a benefit to like that. What a great like masters before becoming an entrepreneur, right? Because I feel like that's where most people struggle when they want to be an entrepreneur. They're like, how do I get the money? Yeah. Like, how does money work? How do I find it? Like, and I think just like being like surrounded and like seeped in the financial world and just having a full understanding of, of how that works. I mean, did you learn a lot about how to like, was it easy for you to find money? Um, I think you're managing huge portfolios. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's very, um, I think to answer the first part of your question, I do think the, when you're looking at thousands of businesses, you know, every, like, Every day you're looking at like five new businesses, right? And you're like digging into them. And there's some becomes a lot of kind of common philosophies and commonalities about like why do businesses work? It's continued education. It is. Yeah. It is. And you find commonalities, right? Is it like why does this business work? And again, I was in distress. So I saw a lot of businesses that were dying. Right. Why does this work? Why does that not work? Why does this work? Why does that not work? And I think that education very much helped kind of shape a, a business. Were there like business? aha moments you had? Like, like, like you said, like you, you find commonalities. Yeah. Were, were there aha commonalities of like, mm. Ooh, this is inspiration. I'm going to, I'm going to tuck that away. Yeah. So like no, it's, when it's my turn. I think one thing that I, uh, this might be a simplistic way of looking at it, but when you look at a lot of these businesses, um, I think there's businesses that just exist and they've found a way to kind of make money and, um, basically I, I think there's kind of two categories. The, the latter category of that business is like they found some creative way to create more value out of less. And what I mean by that is I think there's some businesses that are zero sum game where they have an ecosystem, they buy something, they sell it, and th- there's just not a lot of value being created. And I think there's other businesses um, that I feel like are creative in a way where they can create value. So just to give you an example, right? Like why I, I say this and in, in how it applies to our business. Um, and I know we haven't jumped to that yet, but look at <laughs> um, you know, I really wanted to put on my math hat and say, okay, how do we, for instance, take, create more value out of using existing assets, Right. right. So, so there's no yeah. overhead for you. Exactly. Like you're just adding something onto what already exists. Exactly. A path exactly. of least resistance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's only one aspect, but I think over time you do just find more broad coming out. And, and for me, a lot of it comes down to math. You mentioned kind of the analytics and, and geek part, but it's true. It's like, I think a lot of it, it, there's a qualitative aspect and a quantitative aspect to building a business. And I think you always have to tie that together right. and always remember the bigger picture. Does the math work on this? Right. Like yeah. if you look at like, say, I don't know, Ford, for example, like he didn't invent the wheel. He didn't even invent the combustible engine. He just put all those things together. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. and like said like, so it's kind of like what you did. Like there's all, I'm not inventing something new. I'm just taking what's already out there and I'm putting it together in a way to, uh, create a path of these reasons to add value. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what are the benefits of that? Taking that approach? Um, sorry, you mean taking the approach of the, the, taking the approach of, of trying to be a value add. Oh, I see. I see. Versus create from scratch. Oh, and by the way, when I say that, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Okay. Um, those two categories. I think, I think in a lot of ways, a lot of innovation call it Ford, for instance, like that is innovation. That is the car. Right? right. Exactly. So it's like, or did um, he, was it the German? Like, was, like you always, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Was it the Germans? Did they invent the cars first? No. Or was he the assembly line that he invented? Yeah. I, 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 I might be getting my facts. This, but like. I might be getting my facts about um, Typical um. American. It was us. We did everything. We did everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think so. I think in, when you zoom out and you look at what the concept of technology and innovation is, I think across the spectrum it's just doing something different that 
you know, taking something. I think all technology stems from previous technology in some form, right? Um, so whether it's, for instance, using your same analogy, like uh, the iPhone from Steve Jobs, he didn't create the specific components, but he put, he kind of t- took what was before and kind of kept elevating, kept elevating, right. kept elevating, right? Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I, just on that, I don't think they're completely mutually exclusive. Well, they talk about that in the war of art, right? And it's this idea of we're always stealing. And I think yeah. that like nothing's true. Like everything that exists today was inspired by something else. Yeah. Like I think like anything that's in us, that's a, an original quote unquote thought. Yeah. Um, is in there because of our influences from around the world, whether we're aware yeah. of it or not. hundred percent. Right. Yeah. So like, I think everything is stolen and just repurposed. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. Yeah. when other restaurant business podcasts came, I wasn't like, that's my thing. You know, like I was like, Oh, like it was bound to happen. I couldn't be the only restaurant business podcaster forever. Yeah. You know? yeah. So yeah. like, I th- it's good to em- embrace, um, new players and like taking what you have yeah. and evolving it or making it their own. Right. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Um, Yeah. So, um, so you're, you're in this world of finance, you're in this world of seeing other businesses, continuing your education by studying the numbers and things like this. When did the first idea for eat me's come into your head? Um, 20 in the pandemic, 2020. Um, what, what, what happened? What made you think like when, when did the light bulb go off? So I think it was probably mid 2020 and it was really two two sides two sides of the story. Again, I you know I was looking at the world. Again, the world was on fire. Everyone was suffering in their own way, and I realized just with the restaurant industry, like there's something fundamental we really needed to do there. Um, I really felt it, and I really felt like there's a, a solution that can be solved there. Um, and then the the other side though is just being a, a diner in New York City at home seven days a week. Like, what do you eat? Right, <laughs> right. And I think uh, you know being in New York for so long, there's kind of two sides of the spectrum. Right, there's ordering from DoorDash and Uber Eats, which can be very costly, doesn't travel well, unhealthy, or what I would characterize as cooking from scratch. And that includes these meal kit options like Blue Apron and, and HelloFresh and things like that. And the issue with that is it takes forever to cook, right? If you're busy, you know, HelloFresh, it comes with like a potato or a cucumber. It takes an hour to cook, hour and a half to cook. Um, it may not taste good. So I felt like there has to be something in the middle, right? And I think, um, so to answer your question, it was very much just like, two-sided both restaurant and diner issue where it's like there's got to be kind of a win-win solution here right so i'm assuming you saw that when the pandemic hit march restaurants to get creative said well i can turn my place into a bodega i can do meal delivery or but like there is this whole thing that broke out like this whole like segment that was kind of created where people were like well i can have a subscription model where like i send the ingredients like once a week or multiple times a week and you can cook from home yeah um and at that time you're probably thinking there isn't a platform who is that that exists solely to to salt to the creative path of least resistance for this one thing yeah 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 so from the time that you you recognize that there was a gap in the market, a problem that needed fixing to solution, how much time elapsed? Um, uh, sorry, between thinking there's a problem to executing, identifying the problem, yeah. and creating a solution. Oh, it was pretty instant. Um, yeah. and, and when I mean instant, more like, hey, let's get to work. Yeah, let's start thinking about let's this. Right. This Obviously, there's a whole process with like fundraising and all that, right. but. It was. It's really just digging into it to see is this viable? Does it make sense? And what I saw at that point in time was again. To you, you mentioned it. Restaurants are trying everything, right? And one of them was this meal kit idea, right? And a lot of restaurants were doing that. 
Um, what and some competitors also had the same idea, like restaurant meal kits. And what we realized very quickly was that, for my opinion, the only way to make this succeed at scale for the entire industry was they had to have a partner to standardize, call it the user experience, right? The same exact recipe cards. You know, everything takes X amount of time to cook. It's all two servings. Because um, a lot of the restaurants, it's like, oh, let me do, uh, you know, eight servings of this. It'll ship in three days. And it's, you know, and the recipe cards looks like crap or, or something right. like that, right? And we realized to get that repeat user experience for the restaurants to succeed as a whole, they needed someone to partner and standardize that. Standard to create habits. Exactly. Standard of the user experience. So I know as a customer, it's the same exact, you know, recipe card, same exact experience, next, next, next. You can anticipate what the experience is. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the other big thing that we realized, which uh, we can kind of get into later, is, you know, I think there's a really big cost savings uh, approach with what we have because uncooked food, you don't have to deliver right away. So because of that, you know, we compared to like Uber Eats or DoorDash, we can do a lot more deliveries per hour because we batch deliver all at once. Mm. And so what happens is the marginal cost of delivery for those guys might be $11, $12. We can get that out to $3, $4. Wow. And so that's a really important thing that I also realized is like that works specifically for this uncooked model where by owning the logistics in-house, we can create cost savings for the entire ecosystem. Oh, that's really cool. I think yeah. now is a good time to uh, take a break, thank our sponsors. We'll come back and kind of paint the big picture from like A to Z, like how Eat Me's works. And you already dove into some of the details, but we'll, we'll break that down even further. Cool. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Technologies, Inc. RTI's Total Oil Management automates your entire cooking oil process. With Total Oil Management, you get dependable fresh bulk cooking oil delivery, filtration plus oil usage monitoring and reporting, easy oil disposal, used cooking oil pickup and recycling, and say goodbye to those messy, dangerous restaurant rendering tanks. Yuck. RTI's end-to-end cooking oil system helps you manage your used cooking oil disposal, storage, collection, and recycling conveniently, safely, and cleanly with no upfront cost. RTI's services are not limited to oil. They also provide insurance premiums and automated hood cleaning solutions plus hood filtration systems, making your hood cleaning process easy, automatic, and worry-free. In addition to all this, Restaurant Technologies, Inc. can help you reduce your carbon footprint, which we all know is becoming increasingly more important to the consumer. Restaurant Technologies Inc. is always on so you don't have to be. To learn more, head to rti-inc.com and let them know Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast sent you their way. This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and labor cost in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time on creating great guest experience. Margin Edge combines purchases from your invoices and sales data from your POS, which allows you to get real-time costing, get a daily controllable P&L, and send information directly into your accounting system. Margin Edge integrates with 60-plus POS systems and dozens of accounting systems. Manage everything from one central location, inventory, recipes, plate costs, ordering, and bill pay. 
Margin Edge was created by restaurant people for restaurant people. And as a matter of fact, Margin Edge founders continue to operate restaurants to this day. Head to MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back. Um, you kind of started getting into like, I mean, I have so many questions. <laughs> I don't even know where to start, but I, I am kind of curious. I want to know how it works. Um, I want to know the kind of the story of like from inception to like, let's, let's do this thing. Like, like, like when did it, like, when did it get to market? Like, like yeah. what's the story? So like, let's start there. And like, then we can talk about what eat me's is today. And yeah. How it works and the beat that. Yeah. That big picture. So like you have this idea, when does like the first restaurant sign up to use your services? Oh, that's a, that's a fun story. Cause I mean, the funny thing is about the challenges of building what we're building is it's a marketplace. So there's always a chicken or the egg issue. Mm. How do you get restaurants without customers and how do you get restaurants, customers without restaurants? Right. And that it's like the cold start problem. That's very difficult for what we're doing to answer your question, how the first restaurant, it was just like any other founder story, just me, you know, Instagram DMing random restaurants, me walking around, uh, you know, I live in Midtown West, just walking around to restaurants like, Hey, like have this idea. What do you think? And just kind of really, uh, really pounding the door. Um, I would say at that point in time, people were more receptive because, you know, the industry was was struggling a fair amount. Yeah. Right. So I think they were looking for solutions. They were looking for solutions and they saw how serious we were about it and the vision that we had and that we weren't, you know, we were very thoughtful about it. So, um, you know, don't get me wrong. It, it, it took a lot of, you know, pounding on doors, but we uh, fortunately finagle our way into to getting some restaurants on board yeah and yeah. It, it helps to you know drop hey i had a 4.0 uh, <laughs> yeah i don't know it? if they Colgate, care about columbia <laughs> which one, which one was that? i'm not sure they care about that but yeah <laughs> it helps um so you're out there you're knocking on doors you're, you're, so you for you it sounds like the solution was um the restaurant first get restaurants to sign up and then the consumer will come yeah i mean yeah yeah i mean we couldn't Without a product, we didn't even, you know, we couldn't even have sell anything to consumers. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. What about data? Are yeah. you another one of these third parties that are like keeps all the data and like doesn't share that information with the restaurants? Uh, no, I, actually, it's funny you mentioned that. If anything, we've we've used data to help our restaurant partners. Um, so like just for instance, like, you know, one of our restaurant partners, like we realized that through our data, we saw that a lot of people wanted health, quote unquote, healthier cuisine, healthier dishes, right? Protein, veggie. Um, and we saw that they wanted it within cer- a certain price range. So we gave that data to an existing restaurant and they said, hey, let me create this new menu item that I already have, you know, my, I already have ingredients for. Let me create it and then let me try selling it. Immediately when they did that, sales went up and they ended up just adding that menu uh, item to their existing menu. And so, um, and I think what's cool, you, you mentioned data, I think what's cool about what we have is like, we have cooking level data. You know, like what ingredients do people like? What uh, what time frame do they like cooking? So it's it's a different type of data that's a little bit more granular that I think has uh, a lot of potential to help our, our restaurant partners. So the first thing you notice is that when people were cooking from home, the, the the things that they were interested in was protein and vegetables. Probably because that's probably those are the two hardest things to cook from scratch if you mm. don't know what you're doing. Like it's not easy to cook meat. Like you really need to get good at understanding how like to cook the inside to a certain temperature and like not to burn the outside. So like that's probably when people are going out, they're like, and they can't do that. Now they have to eat at home. This is probably like a pain point. Like I want to eat healthy, but I never taught myself how to do that. Yeah. It's very much a healthy thing. Yeah. I would say, you know, I think as now we're, we're thinking about kind of getting repeat orders up and making sure our restaurants can, can benefit. A lot of it is, uh, you know, health quote unquote healthy dishes. Right. Um, and the other thing I would say is, you know, 
people like cooking a lot of different type of unique cuisines. Um, for instance, the, the Asian segment is very popular because I think it's hard for people to cook Thai food, right, from home. And, and you know, what ingredients do I need? Do I, you know, buy an entire jar of palm sugar for one pad Thai? Like, also, how to eat Thai food is a different thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. That sounds kind of silly. You put it in your mouth. That's how you eat it. <laughs> no, like it's like meant to be eaten a certain way. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. Like, it, it, like they put everything out and then you got to like compi- combine it like at your mouth. Like, yeah, yeah, put yeah. Put it together. Yeah, it's yeah. It's uh, intuitive, intuitive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm only saying this because I just interviewed um, Chef Knock from uh, – I'm going to say her – I can't say her restaurant correctly. I'm going to screw it up. But it's in Philadelphia. She just won James Beard. Mm. Um, and when she was talking about this, like she was like, like, go, like people don't know how to eat Thai food. So you have to go to the table and literally like almost like a child, like help them like prepare their meal like yeah, the table yeah. side and show them how it's done yeah and then the, but that whole thing is an experience yeah anyway, yeah 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 i digress so no no yeah you also were talking about this data you're you're getting data on when people like to cook and when they want it delivered but like what else is like helpful information that you're you're finding out um i mean i think i think there's just a lot of information that we have and it's just a question about how you know we have allergen data yeah right we have cook time data we have um, you know, so some people may, there's a, a myriad of different types of kind of, uh, cooking. So for instance, like one of the debates they had is, do we lean more into convenience where everything takes 10, 15 minutes to cook, or do people want kind of a full cooking experience, um, where it's more, and we found out that through data, it's like the former, like people are lazy and they want convenience and it's more about fast. Right. So that's one type of data. And then, so like cooking times, um, again, allergens, I think cooking equipment, Right. Like we kind of had to go through data and say, like, okay, what kind of cooking equipment were that people usually have or or what kind of stuff translates from a commercial kitchen to a residential kitchen? Right. Because that's also an entirely different process for for a lot of folks that we have to, you know, how do we translate from like a walk to someone that may not have a walk at home? Right. Right. Something like that. So um, or also, I mean, data just on the user experience and. Um, just understanding, you know, what recipe language people like, right? Because right? I think that was a whole other thing that we had to discover. Like, what is the optimal way to, uh, you know, to instructions? Get, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it was a whole art to that. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to unpackage the story before, like, talking about what Eat Me's looks like today and mm-hmm. like how it's evolved and what that is. But like, so, so you you started you hit the you know you hit the roads. You're knocking on doors. You're trying to get restaurants to sign up. You like at what point do you have like a substantial number of restaurants signed up? Like when does like, like when do people start joining eat me's website, the consumers to find yeah. these restaurants? Like when did you get to that point? Yeah. Good question. I think again, you kind of have to create uh, a large enough menu for people to be interested in. Um, we actually, so we probably started with like as few as like call it five to 10 restaurants and you can get, you know, three to five dishes each on that. Um, and what we did was just kind of doing that to understand proof of concept and understand there's a demand for this. Um, what type of restaurants should we be on? What types of dishes? Um, and kind of just really fine tuning that 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 um, that kind of uh, the nitty gritty of that model. Um, and I, I think the second phase of what we realized is, and this is kind of a, a little bit of a pivot, but or um, divergence is we realized that to get this to really work, we need to create a kind of a subscription type of model or to get repeat orders. But in order to do that, for someone to subscribe to your service, you need a larger menu um, for them to be like, okay, well, I'm, I'm okay. So then that's kind of the next leg of, of, of the number of restaurants. So to be honest, I, I think it's been a very difficult balancing act because again, with the marketplace that you're starting from scratch, you kind of have to balance 
growth of customers with growth of restaurants and make sure restaurants have enough volume um, when they sign up and customers have enough options. And you're kind of always kind of when you're still when you're still building, you're always kind of balancing back and forth. And it's a uh, very fun. Right. <laughs> it's a very fun uh, challenge. So yeah. I'll be honest. It, it was the it was the fact that I saw this as a subscription model that really appealed to me because one of the things I'm learning, one of the the things I'm trying to change about the industry is the business model. Mm. And I think that there's the business models outdated and old and not really serving us well. Uh, I think that if you can create a business that has like you know your storefront, like your pickup your takeout, your dine-in, but if that is just the head of your funnel, right? If you're talking about like a click funnel and what a click funnel is, is it's a, you know, there's your audience, your followers, the people who know, like, and trust you, but ultimately there's like that first level of engagement, right? And then there's like, okay, they like me so much that they want to hire me for their catering. That's level two, right? Cause that's better margins. It's a better, that's a better relationship. But ultimately I think what we should be trying to do is get people from becoming first time customers to buying into our continuity program. Yeah. Our, yeah. our, our yeah. reoccurring revenue, our subscription models, whether that be, um, a, you know, fully prepared for you delivered once a, like two or three times a week and we just drop it off. Or if it's a, a thing where it's like, Hey, like the chef is going to teach you how to cook that you need to record, you know, the process of you like making that recipe and yeah. then there's a menu card to go along with it. Or maybe it's live cooking classes or something like that. Like, yeah, whatever yeah. it is, there's got to be something that is a higher ticket or at least reoccurring. Yeah. So you, even when times are slow, you still got money coming. Yeah. Right? Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. What's going through your mind as I'm sharing this? Yeah. I think you're spot on. Um, I think, just even zooming out outside of the um, the restaurant industry, I think subscriptions are. I think there's definitely subscription fatigue for a lot of consumers. Um, but I think in general, we are kind of moving towards that model. And um, you know, there's this fa- there's a famous concept that they say like the the cost of how do I say it? the the value you get from making your existing customers happy is you know overcomes the cost that it takes to acquire a new customer right so it makes more sense just as a business is focus on finding existing customers and making them happy and making them buy over and over so i think that's spot on and i think for us what we realize is um you know one of the things that we realize is food for instance it's a weekly it's a it's a daily weekly activity right and so um we actually had people so we actually started as a one-time purchase option meaning that you order one you get it and what we found with people, there's like, hey, you know what? I'd love it if you could remind me to order. You know what? I'd love for you to tell me what I should eat. Oh, hey, I'd love to do it on a weekly basis. And more and more, we got these questions and this feedback. We're like, wait a minute, you want a subscription? Um, so through that, we realized, you know what? This this type of product, this is what we're doing. They want a subscription. So we, we launched a subscription and, and you know, knock on wood, there's been uh, really great feedback about that. How long ago did you start that subscription model? How long into the process? If you guys- it's, yeah, it's, we actually did a couple different types of iterations. Um, and our most recent iteration actually was earlier this year. Um, and where um, the way we do it is, hey, different from other kind of food subscriptions out there where you have to buy eight servings per week and you get shipped across a warehouse, you have to cancel five days in advance and, and, and all that. And it, it's shipped in a box with a lot of ice. We basically just do, hey, you can just do one a week, you can cancel whenever you want the night before. Uh, you can just get one from your favorite restaurant tomorrow, right? So our business model, I think, and our logistics model makes it so it's very flexible. Right. So there's a lot more convenience that, that the consumer Dude, gets. You know, if I lived in New York, and if, you, if you're listening to this and you're in New York or a metropolitan area, I would sign up for Eat Me's today. I would start 
as a kind of like a ghost kitchen, right? Where all you're doing is just delivering meal prep to people, right? And it would be a pizza concept where all I do is manage uh, the dough. I just manage a culture. And for the thousands of people who live in every city who own an uni pizza oven right now, but don't want to babysit the culture or like have a bunch of ingredients, like just send like the, the bread, the, the dough, how many doughs do you want? And how many toppings do you need for each? Like, and here are some creative toppings, right? Yeah. How easy would that be? Yeah. Yeah. How easy would I'm that with you, be? man. I'm with you. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? And then yeah. like, all you got to do is just like make the people who have, who like cooking pizza and saying that they're, they're pizza oven owners, but don't want to the extra work of keeping pizza dough alive. Yeah. Right? Feeding the, the culture and all this stuff. Well, we got that. All you got to do is just tell us what you want. We'll send it to you. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm glad you get it, man. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, I think what's really cool about this again is it actually makes sense for both sides. Like me as a, as a diner at home, like I would love to have someone that helps me figure out the right ingredients and procure the ingredients and prep the ingredients in a way that I don't know how to and they do. And I basically just do the fun parts of cooking, right? I take it, I, I put it into a a frying pan, I, I kind of, it, it takes me 10 minutes or pizza. I do the fun parts. You've already prepped everything for me. So um, it be, really becomes this win-win where you kind of outsource, at least from my perspective, the the difficult parts of, of cooking and more even more not as fun parts to the professionals. And then we get to do the fun parts and right. reap the benefits. So, yeah. 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 That's cool, man. You got me thinking about, I might go home and start a business when I get back. <laughs> I don't know if, uh, if there's enough pizza ovens in New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, now that we kind of understand like the the how you got here and um we kind of understand like well what what has the evolution been? I don't know if we really dove into the evolution of what Eat Me's looks like now. Yeah, I think um I touched on it a little bit. The original idea was, hey, can we um can we just create a model where you just order one time, right? And what we realized was because we wanted to take advantage, I think I alluded to earlier cost savings. The only way you can have real cost savings from a delivery standpoint is you get orders. Um, it's not instantaneous ordering, right? Because, again, with, with DoorDash and Reads, you order, you get it right away. So it's very costly to deliver that, right? Because there's a time to component. So the reason I say that is because we, when we realized the way we were doing it, um, people, again, wanted a subscription. So we kind of evolved and changed to two or three different types of subscriptions until we got to the one that we have now. So on the product side, there's that. I think the... On the dish side, we we tested a lot of different types of dishes. Are we supposed to go more premium, where you get this cooking experience? Are we supposed to go more convenient? What price point makes sense? What types of dishes? Um, and again, we've kind of settled into this. Hey, you know what? To get repeat uh, buyers, we want to do uh, you know within this price range, a little bit more healthy. These types of cuisines and, and things like that. Um, and then I would say the last component of this is just growth, right? Because um, for any consumer tech startup now, it's it's all about how do you grow efficiently. Um, and, you know, testing different growth channels like Meta, Facebook, Google, all the way to what we're doing now, an ambassador program where we're literally hiring people to, to sell and to kind of spread the word about our subscriptions. And um, so there's been a lot of evolution. I don't know if that answers your question, but, uh, you know, it's uh, a lot of different pieces kind of moving together. Yeah. yeah. So from so if I go to eatmes.com, um, mm-hmm. I get brought to eatmes.com slash shop. Mm-hmm. From there, it shows me all the different um Actually, I don't know why it brought me to that page. I just want to go to eatmeets.com. From there, it shows me, um, 
you know, your landing page. I noticed that you're working with the meatball shop. They're a past guest in the mm-hmm. show. You also have uh, Luke's Lobster. Did I see that? Luke's Lobster, yeah. Yeah, and they're somebody who I want to be a guest on the show. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm instantly going, okay, um, there's some good brands out here that see the value in this. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, you see shop meal kits at the top restaurants. Um, if I'm a restaurant owner, I'm clicking on restaurants, I'm mm-hmm. assuming, right? That's me. Okay. So what, what does the process of going from like, if I want to sign up for this, yeah. like what's that process look like? Like what, like, are there qualifications? Like, what, yeah. what can I expect about if, if you have my attention? Right yeah. Now? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say we are, one of our value props to the consumer is that we're give them a curated menu. Right. And so when they eat with this, they can trust that it's good food. Right, because it's a solution process. So, just from that perspective, we have been selected about the types of restaurants we want to bring on because we want to uphold kind of a reputation for for our customers. Right. Um, I would say the second thing is um, to answer your question from an onboarding standpoint, it's very quick. Um, I think if there's an agreement, then what we usually do is we discuss with a restaurant the data that we have about what dishes people want. We look at their menu and we'll say, "Hey, you know what? Let's onboard. Let's call it five dishes that we think would would do really well for you." Um, right. And that's, again, coming back to the data that we have on on the number of uh, orders and kind of dishes that we've had. Um, and through that, it's very much a white glove service. Then we have a team basically that comes in and does photo shoots of, of the dishes. We take the ingredients back and we create the recipe cards for, for all the restaurants. And again, because we want to do it in a standardized way and uh, we have the expertise to make it make it good. So well, yeah, how do you know how to make recipe cards when you're not there like do you work with the chef to make that recipe card yeah yeah so we have a team that you know goes breaks it down with the chef and i think a lot of the right the chef will say hey you you have to do this you have to do that you have to do this you have to do that and every chef is different and every restaurant's different and our job is to take that kind of array of what people may say and and you know it could be 20 steps to two steps or a lot of details little details etc and then transform it through this funnel into a standard UX for yeah. for the customer, right? So that's our job. What about video? So there are video. So there are certain dishes that we do videos on to show them how to. So what happens is on our recipe card, there's a QR code, so then you can kind of pop up and watch a video of how how they're cooking it. Now, is the chef doing that, or are you guys doing that? Um, it depends. It depends case yeah. by case. But the the idea is to make it instructional for the for the customer. Um, oftentimes it's the chef got it that we do that with. so just yeah. to summarize make sure i got it right i i go to um eatmes.com i click on um i'm assuming actually when i clicked on restaurants and i was expecting it to be like a, a sales page for restaurants oh, I see. but it's a list of all the restaurants you work with yeah yeah um at the very bottom is where i went next and i'm assuming now that you would click on how it works uh, for I, the oh, consumer wait, become, side, become yeah. a new restaurant. Sorry, yeah, that might be a little uh, outdated, but I would say actually, there's not that much. Uh, we're we're very much. Uh, how do I say it? Um, uh, if you're a restaurant, contact us. <laughs> yeah, and we'll let you know how know it works. If you want me to read what happens when? Yeah, I yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they are working on the back end, <laughs> uh, but there's the link that says "Become a Restaurant Partner." So right now, if I did want to do this, it's it's is what's the best? Is there a phone number to call? Yeah, I, honestly, I would just you can just email me. Uh, Rob, R-O-B, at eatmes.com. So R-O-B at E-A-T-M-I-S-E.com. Got it. Um, and reach out to me, reach out to to us, and uh, we'll, 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 we'll get back to you, and Got we'll it. figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, you would, you know, if you, if you feel like there's a good partnership opportunity, you look at the menu, you make suggestions, maybe suggest adding something to the menu that might be more appropriate for the at-home consumer. Yeah, exactly. Um, you 
you work on the recipe cards, you get the product uploaded to the internet and then it's on the marketplace. Yeah. How many current uh, markets are you in right now? So right now we're just in New York city yeah. and, and focus on, and um, primarily in Manhattan and then a little bit in LIC and we're going to be expanding soon. But the idea actually is if you look at um, just traditional food delivery, they do about, I would say $5 billion of gross order volume in just New York city. So it's just a massive market for us that yeah. um, in and of itself that there's a lot for uh, of wood for us to chop there. I mean, there's New York's great for that. It's to test, test marketplaces yeah, where it's yeah. saturated enough where there's a critical mass of people in one spot where you can treat it like a big world, but it's really still a small. Yeah. World. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, what are some other markets that you're interested in? in you, I'm assuming you're having success. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the idea actually is obviously after New York, uh, it's just a question of the right places with the right um, restaurant culture, the right kind of population density. And, you know, whether it's Boston, Philly, San Francisco, Chicago, like there's there's a short list of places that, you know, that may, I, we think makes a lot of sense for this. I think Los Angeles would do well. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit bigger of a footprint, but there's just density. Yeah, for you sure. Know, for like, for sure. I don't know how many square miles. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Chicago's sure. same situation. It's not like New York, where you, New York is like a vertical city. It's right, not that right. big of a footprint, but there's just so much density. Yeah, um, for sure, for sure. So, yeah. w- do you have plans to roll out in other cities right now? Or are you just in New York? We do, but I think there's so much exciting things that we want to do in New York. Um, well, that yeah. What do you want to do in New York to feel like you're ready to move on beyond New York? Um, I think so. Again, I think we've done a really good job in uh, Manhattan, but Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and all of New York City. And I think there's there's a question that we're trying to figure out operationally. Like w- the thing that we're really excited about is delivering, call it, from Brooklyn to Manhattan, right? Giving people or, or vice versa. People in Brooklyn don't have access to Manhattan restaurants, and DoorDash and Uber can't do that, right? Because again, it costs too much to deliver. It's difficult, and we have an God advantage. Forbid, right? There's traffic. Oh God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> don't, so don't order your delivery at five o'clock and expect it within an hour. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so there's kind of these really exciting things we can do from a logistical standpoint that, um, that we're excited about. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, how many consumers do you have right now? Did you already answer that question? How many no, uh, I would, in the thousands in the thousands. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, how many meals are you average or delivering on average a, di- a night? Um, it really depends, but, um, I would say, Around a hundred. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's pretty impressive for, I would say, two years in business. Because like the first year, right, twenty twenty, you're just like trying to figure. I mean, it out. that was just me in in Photoshop, like <laughs> yeah. making up recipe cards. Yeah, <laughs> like, man, that's impressive. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, so I, I am kind of curious about the relationship. Like, who owns the relationship at the end of the day with like, the restaurants? Yeah, the consumer. Like, who owns the relationship with the consumer? Oh, you mean us versus the restaurant? Right. Um, so I would say we're the point of contact. We're the, but I would say part of that is just to shield restaurants from having to deal with that. Right. Right. So if like if there's a complaint about this meal or that meal or whatever, they come to us and then we coordinate with the restaurants. Right. Right. And I think it's a little bit more. That's the 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 reason behind it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is there? But option- at the same time, we do. All the orders and customer data, we give it to our restaurants. Yeah. So they see all the customers that are ordering with their email, phone number, That's and everything. Huge. Yeah, That's yeah. huge. Yeah. That's um, huge. Yeah. I see there, like, from a, a restaurant tour perspective, if I'm putting myself in the restaurant tours position, I would want people to come to my website 
and find the link to order their meal kit mm. that would redirect to eat me's. Yeah. Yeah. We have um, some restaurants that, that do that. Yeah. So like in my mind, you, you want the consumer to have a relationship with you and then you're outsourcing mm. this logistical side of that. Like you're just a third party. Like, yeah, like this is what we do in this third party. Like we're not the credit card processing machine. When you're using our POS, we go to toast for that or, or to whatever POS system we use. Right. Um, if you want this this at home experience, like we have our at home experience partner, Eat Me's. Right. You let you go to our website. We have a page that you can go to, which redirects to Eat Me's, and then you f- you go through the logistics of ordering all that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I don't know. Like, um, I mean, what's going through your mind as I'm sharing this? Yeah, yeah. I think so. We we definitely have restaurant partners that put us on their website that then direct to us. I guess yeah. What are those best practices as far as like how to engage? Like, what does your relationship with the restaurant look like? I mean, it's very much a, a partnership. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is just from on your topic from a marketing standpoint, we're obviously going out with our marketing kind of finding consumers and we leverage the restaurant's brands for that. But similarly, you know, uh, the restaurants kind of co-market with us as well, where there's certain restaurants that will, you know, have us uh, go through their email blast or social or we'll go in person and kind of and, and kind of share what we are to their customers. So it's very much a co-marketing and, and kind of partnership Um for, for both of us. Uh, the question is, can we create a structure where it's a win-win for both sides? And yeah. I, we're, we're seeing that. Are you familiar with ClickFunnels? Uh, g- generally speaking, but... I, I just yeah. feel like this is such a piece of a puzzle. Um, I, I, would, I'm, I mean, I've been aware of ClickFunnels um, for at least four or five years now. Uh, but it's this idea of getting people... Like, you have this audience, right? Um, and it's, it's getting them from being an audience to like an entry-level... Uh, relationship where there's some type of continuity, but I think that it, it within the the ClickFunnels model they teach this li- this linchpin model mm-hmm. essentially, where like the money they're making from the product, maybe that product is like your your sales from like your day to day like in store four walls like numbers, right? Yeah, you take that money to promote and to build the continuity program mm-hmm. where you have reoccurring revenue and different tiers of reoccurring revenue. Yeah. And I feel like because the world of the rest, like the world of restaurants is increasingly becoming digitized and like, there's like this blending this like of happening where like our marketplace is no longer the four walls yeah. of our, like it's, it's as far as we can reach and as far as we can get our food with the tools at our, at our disposal. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I just feel like there's this, like this, this way of building out this model through partnerships like eat me's where you're you're getting people to buy into like different tiers of reoccurring revenue. Yeah, yeah. And I, I yeah. just I just see this being such a low hanging fruit thing to do. Yeah, where like yeah. you're just like okay, it's it's three o'clock. Like let's let's get our let's how many prep meals do we have to send out today? Yeah, like, yeah. Just adding that to like your prep list. Yeah, you know? and like, yeah. boom, like how much more revenue is that? Like who's the most successful with your? your, your model right now. Um, in terms of restaurant partners. Yeah. Like who's, who's, I know you probably can't share how much money they're making from this. Yeah. I would say without (laughs) kind of naming any names, um, there are certain, I would say, uh, Asian restaurants that do really well. Um, and I think again, there's, there's this, there's something about it where people really like cooking it at home because it's difficult for them to cook from scratch. And, um, there's also this, I, I don't know if I mentioned before this Ikea effect and Betty Crocker effect, where what we've learned is that when people cook it themselves, they value it a lot more than if they order it from a restaurant, order it from delivery. 
Um, and I think that applies very much so with some of the restaurant Asian well, I think restaurants. That's why everybody wants to open a restaurant at some point in their life because the that value, that feel of like I did this. For yeah, me. yeah. You know, like, it's funny. We have customers that they're like, "Hey, I, I I ate this. I cooked it, and I thought it was so good." Um, and then when they go to the restaurant or they order delivery, it's like, "Oh wow!" It's like they, you realize that they really value what they cook, right? Um, and I think there's a component there that when people try it, they give us three. I thought, "Wow, this is awesome!" Like I felt like I did this, etc. And it was so easy, et yeah. Cetera. yeah, yeah. Um, so like, yeah. I guess uh, without you know exposing any companies or sharing like the numbers of like a certain company, like who's like who's the the most ex- Mm-hmm. Is there a success story you can share without getting too much information that I can figure it out? Um, or my listeners can figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's definitely. So, for instance, like I, I think you hit, hit it spot on, right? Um, and this is a little bit of a tangent to what what you're asking, but the, the way we've created the model is it's very easy for the restaurants to do, right? Where we just give them a list at the beginning of the day, and they after lunch, um, they already have usually they already have a lot of prepped. Um, ingredients for a place because they do a lot of the prep in the morning and they basically just put that into packaging that we provide and then we just pick it up and we batch deliver. So it's a very, very simple process. Um, so there's definitely certain restaurants that have, you know, been set up well and taken advantage of that. Um, and again, with the right cuisines and the right price points and the right type of dishes, they crush it. Um, yeah. And there's just, it's just the steady income stream between lunch and dinner. I could see you yeah. guys taking more of like a gold belly approach too, where gold belly ships the finished product. Yeah. Right. From like these super well-known brands from yeah. the idea yeah. behind that is like you grew up in Boston. You want the Boston cream pie that you used to get as a kid, but you live in San Francisco now. Yeah. You yeah. Can get it shipped there. Like yeah. Overnight, yeah. Right. Yeah. But as you guys scale, I could see your logistics scaling to the point where like, Hey, like I, was that Luke's lobster and I grew up eating Luke's Luke's lobster for lunch and now I'm in college in Southern Florida and I just really want to like make some loop Luke's lobster sandwiches, like ship the ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, and we definitely been looking into that. I think, um, I think the challenge that we've encountered is how do you do it economically? mm. Right. Because when you start shipping stuff with like dried ice across the country in a box, et cetera, like for instance, gold belly, I think, um, if you order from them, uh, it may be maybe plus or minus double the cost of if you just order at the restaurant. And we're trying to do it so it's cheaper. Right. Well, but they're also getting it from across the country. Exactly. So a ticket to exactly. you know, New York City. Exactly, exactly. And so I think there's that element. And I think the other element, though, with that is do you get recurring revenue from that or are these more novelty right. items, right? That's is it fair. like, hey, let me order this as a special I thing for saying. this next week. and what we've been trying to do is create a product that people want to order every single week. Got it. Yeah. I, I dig yeah. that though. That's, that's a much more sustainable model. Yeah. It's a different model. Cause I think with their model, it's a lot, there's a much more broad reach, right. right. Nationally. Right. And for us, it's like, Hey, how do we get a model where it's like, we can get repeat buyers every week, every week and right. incorporate this into there as like a gift, like, as like a birthday. Gift yeah. Or like yeah. A, you know, it's a special event. Like I'm going to order your favorite. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll come back to talk about where eat me's is kind of like headed. Uh, I think we're already kind of alluding to that, but like, I'm just generally speaking, like what you've learned about the industry as a, a, a food business startup. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This episode made possible by owner.com. Owner.com is the quickest and easiest way for your customers to order directly from you without the expensive 30% commission fees. Look. 
With Owner.com, you'll save thousands every month when customers order through your website and branded app instead of third-party delivery apps and reward your customers with a built-in loyalty program that turns them into regulars who order again and again. Owner.com also helps you rank higher on Google with world-class search engine optimization built specifically for restaurants with an AI-powered website. We cannot forget lists. Build a huge list of people who live near your restaurant fast and market to that list on autopilot with text and emails sent at the perfect time to help you grow sales and stay top of mind. Owner.com gives you everything you need to grow and market your restaurant online with no contracts or hidden fees. Visit owner.com slash unstoppable right now to book your free demo and see why thousands of restaurant owners trust owner.com to power their restaurants online recently on the show you've been hearing it come up often restaurant systems pro if you've become interested i highly recommend you sign up for the restaurant system pro 60 day pilot program this is something that's never been done before this 60 day event is at no cost to you but it's not for everyone fred langley ceo of restaurant systems pro will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the restaurant systems pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. P. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back. Um, is there anything we haven't discussed yet? Hmm. Um, unique selling propositions, uh, unique information that you've been privy to because of the work you're doing that you think my listeners can benefit from. Uh, insider perspective on where the industry in general is going and how the world of food is evolving. That's a big question, my friend. Where do That's you a, like 20 questions in one. <laughs> yeah, like I'm just trying to plant seeds right now. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. I mean, I think um, I think in general, the the idea, and I see this a lot um, with what, what it, I mean, you're going to be even closer to this than, than me, but like, I feel like because of the pandemic, Russians have gotten more creative in terms of like, how do I create more out of what we have, right? Um, and that's part of what we're trying to do. Um, and I've seen a lot of different types of, um, you know, new restaurant startups or, or restaurant ideas about subscriptions or cooking classes or, you know, things like that. And I think in general, there has been this 
um, and again, I, I think you'd be closer to this to, than, than I am, is um, this mindset shift in terms of being creative and understanding. And I think um, for, for, for us, the reason why we're so excited about what we're doing with restaurants is because the home cooking market or the food at home market, whatever you want to call it, is massive. Right, it's a very. We're basically competing with grocery chains, right? We're, we want to we want to help restaurants take advantage of their existing infrastructure to create a new product that can compete and take share from the massive grocery vertical, right? So the idea is not to cannibalize delivery or cannibalize their existing sales. The idea is with this product, can we start the taking consumers' wallet away from Whole Foods to restaurants, right? And so I think that's one important thing. I, I feel like I'm plugging ourselves here, and I don't even know that was your question, but that's the route I'm going. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's, I think that's one thing. Um, uh, and so, sorry, what was your question again? <laughs> question, I really was just an open-ended, like, you know, where, like, like, what are you learning? Like, what are the trends? How can we evolve the industry? And right, you started right. to answer with, there's this, you're, you're just trying to, help restaurants recognize that there's more value to add. Value yeah. Yeah. Channel. Yeah. And I think, you know, we like, for instance, ghost kitchens, right? That's in some ways, I, I don't know if you have an opinion on that, but in some way that's, that can be beneficial to restaurants. Like in some way that's a threat to restaurants. Right. I think, um, actually, I don't know if you're, what your take is on that. But. I honestly, I, I, I think there's a time and place for, for ghost kitchens. I don't think that they make sense for everybody. I don't right, think, right. I like if I'm okay, if I'm opening a restaurant tomorrow, I'm not, starting with a brick and mortar i'm starting with a website and an email right and a list yeah and pop-ups i think pop-ups would eventually lead to um a ghost kitchen scenario where it's a kitchen only where i'm doing online ordering only right. pickup and delivery only right but i think for me it would start with pop-ups the whole purpose of the pop-ups would be collecting emails get a list of a thousand two thousand people from my pop-ups use that list to promote my new you know, my new hour is at my ghost kitchen, right? Generate business, continue to grow the list to the right. point where I get like 10,000 emails right? and then just let cash flow determine growth. Yeah. Can yeah. I afford rent now? Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's where I think I would use a ghost kitchen right. to like start small and scale over time. Yeah. 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 In, in like a city like New York or like bigger cities where it makes sense to have ghost kitchens and more people order out and, I mean, I think it's good if you have a brick and mortar to have a separate line that's just a ghost kitchen, right? Where you're not bogging down your in-store exp- orders and experience, like right, you have right, a whole right. separate line for that, like, right? Right. I think there's it makes sense for certain things. Yeah, yeah, for but sure, for sure. I'm somebody who also the reason why I love this industry is for the face to. I'm the guy who drives across the country to sit across. The yeah, exactly, and, exactly. I would not want that ghost kitchen. Yeah, yeah, like, and I think, term. and I think for us, what our vision is taking restaurants that are kind of brick and mortar that have that face-to-face with customers. And again, instead of looking at, for instance, ghost kitchens in some ways, um, you know, it, it, the, it lowers a barrier to entry for a lot of new restaurants, right. Yeah. To, to do delivery, et cetera. In some ways that is a threat to existing brick and mortar restaurants because the, the barrier to entry is so low. So our idea is, Hey, how do we help these existing restaurants get more out of their assets, get more out of their brick and mortar? How do we, do add, the math and add say, more value. Exactly. And, you know, a third, uh, you know, let's say a third of the cost of real estate, a third of the cost is labor, you know, however you want to calculate it. It's right. like, how do we get more out of that existing cost? How do we, yeah. How do we, how do we continue the relationship with our consumer, our guests, if they don't want to leave the house tonight? Exactly. And I think importantly, the, the thing that I really wanted to always focus on is without having the increased costs, right? Without having them hire all these new people, without having to do all these new things. Well, yeah. Like 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's the cool thing about the world we live in today. And this is kind of how I look at technology in general. Like any of like, if you're like, if you're opening a restaurant tomorrow, you can build all these systems from scratch. You can, you know, hire a programmer, build your own app, do all those things. Or yeah, you can outsource it to an organization that has spent their existence, their, their whole reason for being is to solve this problem and plug it into your business. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the better option. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's funny. Like it's actually a really interesting question because I think with any kind of restaurant aggregator or restaurant partner, the question always is, Hey, can the individual restaurant do this better? Or does it make sense for a partner to do this? And I think with us, what we realize is from not only a, a cost perspective and like centralizing costs and centralizing data. And it makes sense for there to be a centralized unit that takes care of a lot of the marketing. It'll take care of a lot of logistics because it becomes a true win-win for, for everybody. Right. Right. And so uh, we kind of wanted to do the heavy work in the, in the lift to get the answers and get the solutions and create a structure to have that ongoing feedback that then our restaurant partners can benefit from. Right. And there's a win-win. Well, you should, here's something that I don't know if came out of today's conversation. Like what have you heard from your restaurant partners in terms of people who were doing meal kits before eat me's and mm. then they found eat me's and went to outsourcing it. What has the feedback meant in terms of like this from is, a consumer standpoint? No, from a restaurant owner. Standpoint. Oh, so like, Hey, oh, I was yeah. already doing meal kits. Yeah. Yeah. And I was doing all the logistics. I was taking all the requests. I was personally delivering them. Yeah. You know, like to go from that all like all in house from scratch a to Z recipe cards, videos, everything. Yeah. To outsourcing to eat me's has, I think it's funny you asked that we had the restaurants that have tried it before by themselves. When they see us, they're like, we, we a hundred percent recognize how difficult it is what you're doing. Right. And I think it's because when you really get into that business, it's like the recipe cards, the delivery, how do you keep costs low? How do you create a consistent offering? How do you get repeat buyers? Like all that is stuff that we do. So kind of what I alluded to earlier, we're very much a white glove service, not only for the restaurants, but also it just makes sense because we have the data, we have the know-how, we have the process in place. So um, I think to answer your question, you know, just think about one example of a restaurant, they uh, pretty, without naming names, they're a pretty successful, very successful restaurant. Um, they've done and they've tried meal kits and they came to us and like, hey, we recognize what you're doing here. We understand how hard it is and we see the vision. So we're, we're on board and we've gotten a couple of uh, folks like that and, you know, knock on wood, they've been very satisfied, uh, satisfied partners. So yeah. That's cool. Um, I just had another idea mm-hmm. while you're, you're talking like for a business, have you had anybody who, who their job is say they just have like this, like cooking class where they just get, they have a deal with eat me's where like every Friday they just get like 50 orders of a different restaurant in the city every week. And they have a group of people that come together and just cook mm-hmm. like a date night type thing. Interesting. We're Great like, idea. We, right? we, we haven't done that yet. Dude, I'm filled with these. <laughs> we're like your job is literally just taking an order. Yeah. And then what you're doing is you're, you're charging like you're paying out the, the restaurant and the, you know, eat me's, but then what you're doing is creating an experience 
like a date night or like yeah. cooking classes or something like that. Yeah, we've uh, all the prep is done for you, and you just bring all the. We've done events, so we've done events where we've you know had a group of people where they come to a place and they pre-order kits and then they just cook right. for each other, and it's kind of like a almost like a Tupperware party, right? Um, and we've done that, but we haven't yet kind of created a repeat structure like right. you're implying. But. So I think what was going through my mind is that when there's services that are, exist like this, there's there's whole new business models, not just like restaurants having another channel of revenue, but like an entrepreneur going like, I'm going to take I'm gonna let all the restaurants do all the hard part. Yeah. Storing the food, prepping the food. Then I'm going to rent out the space and just have clients where we just cook all this. Like we just order from a different restaurant. Every, like, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a whole new segment. Right yeah. There. Yeah. I think there's a lot of uh, really exciting things that uh, with this model, I think to your point, lead into a lot of different directions. Right. You can have fun with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like right now, the people that are listening to this are all over the world. Mm. Um, California is my most downloaded state followed by, I want to say New York and like Florida and like Chicago is mm-hmm. like in that order or something. Like yeah. That. Yeah. So the majority of the people listening to this can't use eat meats today. Got it. So what, for all those other people who are listening to this and thinking to themselves, oh, damn it. <laughs> um, w- like, what, what's the message for those people? We're coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll be there soon. We'll be there soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's not go do this in, in a different city. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want any copycats. You might, you might regret, I don't want to you like, might yeah. regret this. Yeah, I'm like, yeah you know what? I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, but it does get people thinking creatively for know? sure. For sure. Um, yeah. And like, I think that's one cool thing that, um, yes, there is your service, but at the same time, like how can you turn this industry upside down? Yeah. Like, um, and maybe it's not the same business model as eat Meats, but something like use this as inspiration to, to see the pieces of the puzzle that are on the table right now and to maybe put them together in a way that hundred percent might be a little abstract, but you know, there, there's opportunity. A hundred percent, hundred percent. And yeah. I think it's, my perception is it's still fairly – I think we've seen a lot of restaurant innovation and restaurant tech innovation, obviously, in the last couple of years. But I, mean, I think it, we're still – there's still a lot to go, right? And I think one of the things that I actually asked myself during the pandemic was um, in a very draconian scenario, um, right, where we see a lot of other industries where you see consolidation because there's cost savings, et cetera. Like, can we be in a world where – we just always free from Chipotle and McDonald's and sweet because they have central and costs, they green cost low, et cetera. And, and what I realized just, it's like, it's just impossible because the fabric of our societies are all driven by the mom and pop restaurants with different, you know, cultures, different, you know, personalities, et cetera. And there's just no way we're going to go to a world where we're not going to have, you know, all these restaurants. Right. So, um, and because of that, then you realize that there's just inherent, disadvantages with from a cost structure because you can't scale right because you have small individual so then because of that then it makes sense for aggregators and partners to come in to extract help them extract more value from what they have right um so yeah so you know so what i think about it is to to kind of go back to the beginning is i think there's so much that we can still do in the restaurant world um and create so much more value because there's so much that the restaurant is doing like for me as a diner like i i I can take it they can help me. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the future of the hospitality food and not like food and beverage eat like the, the, the future of food? In yeah. What yeah. does that look like in your eyes? I think in general, like in kind of tackling on what I was saying before is I think 
um, and I saw this in the, the, the pandemic and you've kind of alluded to this is how do we strengthen, how do we extract more value and how do we strengthen the bond between the restaurant and the diner? Right. And I think there's obviously, I think very important um, in, in restaurant, in person interaction and kind of that hospitality, but you mentioned it, maybe like cooking classes, maybe like the meal kits that we're meal kits that we're doing. Right. Um, um, I, I think there's just so much that, that can be done, but there's, um, uh, the sky's the limit. <laughs> right. I, it's yeah. interesting. I think that to, to your point, um, helping restaurants see that there's more value, no pun intended, that's being left on the table, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. The, there's, I think what you're going to see the, is a, a, a diversification of the restaurant industry. I don't think, I think, <laughs> I don't think the traditional restaurants going away where people want to go eat out and have an experience socialize. If anything, I think that there's going to be, I think that as we march into the future, uh, as the world of technology is advancing, the other technology that's advancing science and understanding of human beings and us and how we work And the truth of the matter is the world we live in right now is very unhuman. Yeah. And we're moving in a very, not team human way. Agree. You yeah. Know? So like, Agreed, yeah. I think it's only a matter of time before we realize that you, you can't force people into technology. hundred percent. Yeah. Like technologies advancing at an exponential rate. Yeah. Moore's law. Yep. Right. But humans aren't evolving at an exponential rate. Yeah. I mean, maybe you could argue that human culture trans like evolves exponentially, but the, at the end of the day, we're still humans and we're still pack animals. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think that we're just now starting because it's never been an issue where we didn't need each other. Like we yeah. literally don't need each other today. Yeah. Like it's, we've gotten to a point where like we relied on family, church and community. Yeah. And now we rely on government market and like what's yeah. the other one. There's a third one there, government market and something else. Like we, we don't need each other. Yeah. Like we could break away from our community and our family tomorrow and we're okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But are we? No, (laughs) (laughs) we're not. We're not. So I think we're just starting to realize that now. And I think that the, our salvation is in, is in kind of choosing to choose the, the path of being human. Agreed. Agreed. You know, which means doing human things. Yeah. Yeah. Which like hundred percent. And when I say that, I mean like relationships, being across the table from people, being in yeah. person, being seen, being valued. Yeah. Uh, I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. And I think the restaurant industry is like pivotal. Yeah. Pivotal for that. I mean, I, I remember my first investment deck from a couple of years ago. I, well, actually, I don't know if it was in there, but I really felt like, so many of the important moments that have happened in my life with the people that I care and love about happened in restaurants, right? It's, it's, it's in, it's just kind of, um, I think everyone thinks like this, so I'm not that unique. And especially living in New York for so long, I think restaurants are hold a special place in my heart. Um, I grew up in Taiwan also and really great food and restaurant culture there. Um, but just in general, you just realize, or I realize that like so much of my, happy memories revolved around restaurants Just and being food. in restaurants. Right. Yeah. And yeah. food and sharing food with loved ones. And right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, your, your best, it's funny. It's like that, like the best pizza in town or like the best Chinese food in town or like, it's all based off of what your first interpretation of that was. Yeah. That's yeah. the best. Yeah. hundred percent. Because yeah. it, you tie those memories to it and yeah. that feeling of security and happiness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Very true. Um, so I think that the future of the industry is going to be kind of like, um, I think you're going to see brands hmm. that have multiple touch points with their consumer. hundred percent. Yeah. Do you want to come in 
and we'll provide a, a more hands-on A to Z experience for you. Do you want us to do catering for you? We'll come to you and ho- help you host this party or whatever. Do you want us just to send you five meals and you can cook it at home yourself? Do you want to order out? Yeah. Do you, like whatever it is. Do you yeah. want to pick it up? Do you want delivery? Like yeah. Yeah. wherever you are, yeah. we'll meet you there. Yeah. And then you you just come at, you just provide options. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and then partner with the, the the tools and services to facilitate those options. Yeah, 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 100%. Uh, and diversify. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of the future. Yeah, you know? I agree, I agree. And I think it's going to be, like you're going to have your food partners. Yeah. Like, here's like, here's this restaurant group that owns 10 restaurants and I can buy into the restaurant group like, I don't know, $1,000 a month credit Yeah. that I just pay 1000 bucks a month and mm-hmm. I have, I can spend that money through all these different verticals yeah. within all these different concepts. Yeah. And I think that's how people have to start looking at it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, just zooming out, like we all eat every day. It's so the addressable market is massive. So the question is like, how do restaurants take more of that share? Right. Right. With, and I think restaurants compared to grocery stores or, or whatever the competitor kind of food uh, companies are, have a lot of inherent advantages that can be taken advantage of to, and we can pass that those onto the customer. So fundamentally and philosophically, I think there's so much opportunity for restaurants to, to take more, to take more share. Yeah. yeah. What haven't we discussed today? Oh man, we could talk for hours. <laughs> um, no, man, I think, uh, you did a pretty good job covering a lot of, a lot of, a lot of ground. Thank you very yeah. much. Uh, I mean, I, I do love just kind of getting outside of the traditional, um, restaurant tour interview to kind of learn about what else is out there. Uh, I see that I'm not the first person to cover eat me's. <laughs> I know eater got you thrills got you. You got some good coverage. I think you're doing some cool stuff, man. And I'm excited to see you grow. Appreciate um, that, man. Yeah. So I am trying to get out of the way in terms of who I make an example of. Um, obviously I still pay attention to my email. Um, I do like to connect with outside the box concepts, but who do you think I should talk to? Who do you admire in this industry, whether it's a, a restaurant or a, a technology or service that exists mm. to restaurants, um, mm. that's changing the game. Who do you think I should talk to? Yeah. You know, one, one restaurant partner, you mentioned restaurant partner that comes to mind actually is, um, this restaurant called 8282. Okay. Um, in Lower East Side, it's kind of a new age Korean concept. They actually just got on the Michelin Guide. Oh, cool. Um, but um, the owner, G, um, so she's from, she's Korean American and she's really cool concepts that she's doing with her for products that is kind of this, I don't want to butcher it because I feel like I would say, but it's like this really great dishes that are Korean, but very new age. And um, the reason I mention her is she's very um, entrepreneurial in the way that she thinks in terms of understanding um, you know, she's uh, what the future is. That's why, for instance, she saw. And so, for instance, in Korea, meal kits are huge. Yeah, it's it's actually a huge thing there. And so, she saw that. She saw um, what we were doing. She signed on. So, the reason I mentioned her is because I think she's one of the restaurant owners that thinks outside the box and thinks about the future. Asia's ahead of the curve in a lot of things. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. Especially when it comes to, I think. When it comes to having a critical amount of people living close to each other, yeah. they've been kind of there longer. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like they were also way ahead of us with meal delivery too, because yeah. like it's, yeah. that was an issue for a longer period. Yeah, of time. yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, I mean, if you want some innovation, look to just Asia. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Solving problems before us. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, awesome. What was your name again? G. G. Yeah. G. G. J. E. G. G. Kim. Yeah. G. Kim. 
from 82 or 8282. 8282, yeah. Look out, I'm coming after you. I'd love <laughs> to get you on this show. And she's based here in Manhattan? Oh, uh, Manhattan, yeah. Cool. I don't know if I'll be able to get you on this trip. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Um, I would love to get her on the show. And uh, how, again, how can we connect with you? You already mentioned your email once, but maybe yeah. one more time. Yeah, so uh, feel free to reach out. My email is Rob, R-O-B at eatmes.com, E-A-T-M-I-S-E.com. Um, and yeah, would love to... Uh, here, if anyone has any uh, ideas, if you guys want to learn more uh, or anything, just uh, feel free to reach out. Give me an avatar of your dream Oof. partner, your your dream restaurant partner. Oh, I want the listeners mark. who are in New York City who are listening to this, who you describe. I want them shaking their heads like I need to. I need an email. Yeah, uh, I think right what we. I mean, this is what we target. We target. We love the big brand names. <laughs> you know, people love those, and I think. Um, restaurants that um, I think kind of what we're saying, like the ones that really do well are the ones that have um, within um, call it a certain price point, maybe call it a 25, $20, $25 entree um, that, you know, that people would love to cook at home. Um, and again, kind of alluded before a little bit of a healthy spin, but in general, also people love unique cuisine types. I'm really copying out by not giving you an exact answer, but <laughs> there's basically, I would say unique cuisine types, healthy, well-named, like that's, that's kind of our, uh, that's our, that's our sweet spot. Robert, my man, thank you so much. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Thanks so much, Eric. Really, really appreciate it, man. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Robert Chen, for coming on and talking to us about Eat Me's. And I'll be honest. Straight transparency. I, I believe in transparency. Eat Me's was not referred to us. However, they're such they're you know, they're still a very new organization. And whenever I see opportunities to lean into any type of reoccurring revenue model, any type of continuity plan, I'm interested. And I think you should be interested too. So this I mean there's tools and resources out there at our disposal that we can use. We can choose to build systems from scratch, processes from scratch, or find strategic partners and plug in their systems and get access to their marketplaces. And when we get access to the data and we also get access to a reoccurring business model that's already baked, we just need to plug it into our business. Like, fuck yeah. Like, pardon my language, but you should be interested in this sort of thing. I'm interested in this sort of thing. We need to we need to break the old business model and we need to innovate and use the tools that are at our disposal. That's the message. So uh, if you can think of any tools or services like Eat Me's out there, not necessarily in the sense of, of a meal prep kits, but continuity programs, recurring revenue programs, uh, let me know. I'll be interested in learning more. I think we should uh, definitely be leveraging that in our businesses. So uh, if you are enjoying this podcast and you need more podcast episodes just like this one, then we need your support. There's a ton of ways you can support the show. You can share this thing with everybody you know. Literally, if you know somebody who's in the restaurant industry who's trying to do great things and they're not listening to this podcast, you are not a good friend. Be a good friend. Share this podcast. Tag us, Eric at Rest... No, that's not right. At restaurantunstoppablepodcast.com. And you can support our sponsors and use our affiliate links. I'm telling you, 
about these tools and services, regardless of whether or not they're paying me a commission. Just support the show. Take an extra step. Use our links. Thank you in advance. Uh, and when you use our sponsors, they buy more ad space. It's that simple. And then come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. we got a lot of cool shit coming in 2024. You will want to be a part of it. I promise you that. And then lastly, I can't say goodbye without saying thank you to the, the people who make the show possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi with Sumadre Podcast for your copyright and editing. Thank you to Calamiola for your community management. And thank you, Anna Tazin with the Good Kind Consulting for your executive support and counsel. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.